This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We do a series every year called At the Movies, and uh, we actually call it Faith Flicks, Life's Lessons from the Big Screen. And I really felt I, I was going to go a total different direction, and I really felt like the Lord said, bring this to Vortex. You guys have just, you, it, this is an awesome church. I love being here. You guys are nice. It's, it's crazy. You guys are just nice people, and it's fun to be around people who are nice, who like you. I'm a uh, much better man in Amanda's mind than I am in reality. I just want you to know that. And, you know, of course, all of our people closest to us could tell, tell a lot of stories. But uh, I am so grateful. What, a, what an introduction. Thank you so much. Uh, and if any, anything good's ever come out of my life, it's because of Jesus. You know what I mean? It's because of him, because he's so good to us and he's so kind. I'm glad to be here with you. Send greetings from Merritt Island, Florida. A church there uh, loves you and knows about Vortex and Pastor Kevin. And Pastor Kevin got to minister there this last year. And uh, he, he was going to minister there another time, but a hurricane came in and blew him out of town. So didn't get to do it that time, but we got him there and uh, did a great job. And uh, I noticed there was a quote up on uh, the, it was up on our, we have a big video screen out on this uh, sign out on the road. And uh, I, I looked and I thought, don't let fear tell your story. Where have I seen that? Where have I heard that before? And it was a quote by Pastor Kevin. So our sign people put that up on the on the road. I think I sent it to you a couple of weeks ago. It was up there. So uh, we love Pastor Kevin, Amanda, their children. They're they're like family to me, and and honored to be here. Uh, Pastor Kevin did a great job on this series. I understand why it's your favorite. Uh, powerful, anointed. I'm going to go a little bit further on redo. I'm not going to say a lot about redo till till the very end. But I want to warn you, I'm going to try to change your mind. I'm going to try to get you to think differently. If I was to interview people concerning what I'm going to talk about here, most people would say, this is what we're supposed to do. This is who we're supposed to be. Yes, that's right. And they don't understand that that's, that's not possible. So I'm actually going to, going to talk to you about something that you might not believe this way yet, but I hope... I'll be able to change your minds, but it's hard work to change people's minds. So we need more than me to do that. God's going to have to get in there and mess around with you a little bit and and help you to see and and think differently. So let's pray. Father, you are a great God and a great king. Thanks for this great church that you're building in North Carolina. God, may it continue to grow and prosper and, and be what it's called to be so that lives in this part of the world would be changed, would be touched, and that people... Would, would come to know you and be part of your family, part of your kingdom. God, thank you for anointing and, uh, and, and every person in this room to hear. That they would hear not just to hear to know, but they'd hear to live. And Father, that this message would in many ways set us free to rest in your love, knowing who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Rogers. I have to admit, I had to repent about Mr. Rogers. Because I always thought he was a dork, you know, and I, I never, I really, I did. I mean, it's just like, eh, you know, he's not very manly. He's, uh, 
weird and you know it's like he can't sing but he sings all the time and uh what in the world is up with that guy never watch i mean he came uh, on the air in 1966 which was before a lot of you were born anyway but uh 1969 is when he really started to come up and, and was more famous it's when he spoke before congress actually to get funding for public tv uh, which he did get speaking to congress for six minutes he had half of the congressmen crying and they gave him $20 million on the spot for public TV. He, he was an incredible man. Uh, you know, looking from the outside, though, it's like I've asked other guys, what do, what do you think? You know, ask men, men, manly men, what do you think of Mr. Rogers? And they're like, eh, you know, I don't know. We're not sure where he's coming from there. Uh, Ask girls, they're nicer. But if you ran into somebody, they're nicer about him. But if you ran into somebody that actually watched him, and, and that, that 30 minutes of their life that they gave to Mr. Rogers to be part of his neighborhood, they couldn't say enough great things about the guy. And so I began to research, and look, there is a, there is a great documentary out, n- out now called Won't You Be My Neighbor? I'd recommend it. It's a, it's a, gr- it's a great watch. Um, I'd watch it. But the more I read about him, the more I looked and saw video and, and watched what he did, I had to repent. I actually had somebody leave the first service and said, I had to repent too. Uh, and it was a lady. I thought, boy, usually ladies aren't as mean as us. But she, she said, I just thought he was weird. But anyway, so this is what uh, Christi- Christianity Today said about him a few years ago. They said, part of what made Rogers enduringly successful is that he viewed television shows as his ministry. I got into television because I hated it, so he once admitted. But after earning his divinity degree, ordained minister, he realized that the medium or TV would be a fabulous instrument to nurture those who would watch and listen. His target audience was two to five-year-olds. Two to five-year-olds. And what he realized is that a lot of two to five-year-olds are afraid, terrified of their dad or of men. And so that's one of the reasons he was so calm and so kind and so gentle with kids is because he wanted them to see a man that they felt like they could trust and not be afraid of. That's where he was coming from. So he, uh, he also said that the distance between the TV glass and a child's mind is holy ground. And we must fill it with the right thing. And so he did the program totally on one verse of Scripture. The verse of Scripture that he, he did 38 years of TV, almost 2,000 episodes of, uh, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He did on the uh, theme of love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's why it's called Welcome to, Welcome to My Neighborhood. And uh, his producer at one point explained in, in the film, in the documentary, that Roger's formula was to take all the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. Cheap set. And if you look at the set, is it going up? It's, you know, it's made out of cardboard. It's like, are you kidding me? The trolley, one of the main things. It's a trolley. I mean, it's, you know... A cheap set, low production value, unlikely star with no bells or whistles, also never did a commercial, never advertised or marketed to children, never made a dime off the backs of children. There's no other uh, children's show of that time or since that that could say that. He went in and, and actually transformed an industry. He didn't conform to it. He transformed it and did it differently. This is something Fred Rogers said. He said, love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love, or the lack of it. 
So here's the big idea for today. What, we're gonna, what I'm going to try to convince you of is that uh, we are actually called to do the impossible. That Christianity isn't hard, it's impossible. To live the Christian life is not hard, it's not a difficult thing, it's an impossible thing, and no one is capable of keeping, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus shared on the Sermon on the Mount, no one is capable of doing that. No one except, of course, one, Jesus Christ, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. See, we're called to do and to do and to do and maybe even redo the impossible in our lives. Let's look at Matthew chapter 22. We're going to go to verse 35, uh, a little bit different than I had in my notes originally. It says uh, in verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer, this is a guy who's an expert in the law, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And this was an argument, just, you know, this was one of the theological arguments of the day that they wanted to get an answer to and everybody thought they had an answer to it and they would argue about it's like how we argue today about whether or not Adam had a belly button or not I mean he wasn't born he was made so you know he did you guys don't argue about that here in North Carolina you do that's a yeah I wonder you know I just wonder you know I wondered if he had a belly button but that's okay you know which came first the chicken or the egg it's really a theological of course it was a chicken right as God made the earth and yeah, moving right along. Um, <laughs> then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing and saying, law, uh, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Somebody say law. Yes, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, you'd say, I mean, every Christian knows we need to love the Lord. God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm here today to say you can't. You don't. You've already messed up on that. Some of you just had a bad thought about me saying that, and that thought didn't. You know, that wasn't dedicated to God right there. It says that all our heart. Does your heart ever need a redo? Do you ever need to get your heart refocused on the right thing and not have it divided and chasing something it shouldn't chase? Absolutely. Does your mind ever get filled with thoughts? Hello? that you shouldn't have in your head and thoughts you shouldn't be thinking. So we love them with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Are you giving all your strength to Jesus? I don't think so. In fact, I don't think you can. In fact, when you read this and you understand it, even though Fred Rogers seemed to do it better than most, you've got to remember that Jesus was asked a question about the law. And being a Jewish man, understanding and living within Jewish law, he answered the question about the law with the law. Right, he said, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest, you know, rule that we have? Excuse me. And so he, because he came to fulfill the law, and he did fulfill the law, and he did keep it perfectly, he knew it really well. And so when he answered the question, he knew the answer to the greatest commandment or the most important or the biggest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Most important thing to do. But it's still, listen to me for a second, it's still a law. Most Christians, don't, they read that and they think, that's what Jesus is telling me to do today. And when you try to keep the law, it's difficult. The truth is nobody here at Vortex does this completely. Come on, nobody at, Vort- nobody at East Coast does, I can tell you that. I know them people. 
You guys have just been introduced to a few times, so you might do a little bit better job. But then people back in Florida, they don't do this. Sometimes they're, they're mean to the person at McDonald's because they didn't get their Happy Meal fast enough. They ain't happy. And uh, that happens. So Jesus was asked about the law. And uh, what's the greatest commandment? He summed them up. What he did is he, he told us that if we would keep these two rules... Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We would actually never break any of the commandments. You know, you won't have put another God before God if you love God with all your heart. So you won't take another man's wife if you love him as you love yourself. And you go right down the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments that they had, laws that they had, uh, in which it's crazy. When you look at those laws, I believe 248 of them are positive, like you shall, and 365 of them are negative, you shall not. The good news is Jesus did not come to give us laws. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Jesus summed up the law, but it is still the law. So what's the law for? What was the law for? Well, when you read your Bible and, and study a little bit about the law, the law was given so, uh, wasn't given so that we could keep it perfectly, but so that it would make it obvious to us that behavior was not going to get us to heaven or in God's family. The way we live, the way we, we do that. So in Galatians, it says this about the law. This is chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture is confirmed all under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. This word tutor is actually the guardian that, that watched the children at home and on the way to school and delivered them to their teachers and brought them back from their teachers that was who this tutor was it wasn't actually a teacher if you look up the word you can look it up pretty easy on the internet now but anyway therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith not justified by what we do not justified by our behavior not justified by how how well we love God or love our neighbor but after faith has come we are no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's what, the, here's what the law was for. The law was a mirror. A mirror so that you could look at your face in the mirror and see, ooh, my face is dirty. Ooh, I don't do all the things I should do. I, I say things I shouldn't say. I, I act out in ways I shouldn't act out. Ooh, my face is dirty. But I got news for you. You can't wash your face with a mirror. The mirror is not capable of making you clean. Your performance is not what makes you right with God it wasn't a law it wasn't a rule it wasn't a regulation it's a mirror the good news is Jesus didn't come to give us a law and here's the problem the law only brings condemnation I just know so many so many Christians I probably nobody here at Vortex but so many Christians who are living under condemnation because of, of falling short, of not doing what they need to do, being who they need to be. Uh, that's what the law does. You try to reach for something, and you're condemned because you can't do it. 
and that condemnation uh, actually when you strive for success and fail and, and you get enough condemnation people will give up they won't even try anymore they'll just they'll just stop see we fall short we condemn ourselves or by chance if those of you here in North Carolina are really good at keeping rules and regulations you keep them really good for a day and a half and then you start to look down at other people and condemn them because they don't live as whatever as you and you just pick whatever area you want to go in a whole as holy of a life as you live and so it's either we're giving ourselves condemnation or the law will have you give other people condemnations that's what the law does and it, it it's not good see th- these were the greatest commandments even the greatest when Jesus summed it up and said here's what you got to do if you just do these two you got it made they lead to we try to justify ourselves and the question here is by a lawyer and in Luke if you read the story Luke chapter 10 verse 25 the lawyer stood up tested him saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life he Jesus said to him what is written in the law what is your reading of it so he answered and said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself see the guy had been listening to Jesus before and he heard the answer and so he's cheating he's I, I know this one he didn't really but he did so he said it and and Jesus said you answered rightly and then he Jesus says do this and you'll live but listen to this next line what it says in the scripture but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus who is my neighbor see yeah I know I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself but who really is my neighbor because they had all sorts of rules and regulations how they figured you know a neighbor was a person that was close to you or within a proximity or was that meant somebody like me or was that that meant you know somebody in the Jewish faith I couldn't mean a Samaritan because we don't like the Samaritans we hate the Samaritans they're different you know people and you know they're actually Jewish but anyway moving right down the line that we don't like them or we don't like them and you really can't mean I gotta love them you mean I gotta love Al-Qaeda or Qaeda Huh? You, it certainly, neighbor can't mean neighbor. It's got to mean something else. And so he's trying to find a loophole to justify himself. And as he's trying to seek and find this loophole, what he's doing is he's trying to, to, trying to get a line of the lowest possible performance he can keep and, and get it right. So they, and that's what happened. For example, in, in Jewish culture, they'd have the Sabbath. And remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, one of the Ten Commandments. And, and so we're not going to work on the Sabbath. And so because we're not going to work on the Sabbath, but what, is, what does work really mean? So they define the word work. And you could do so many things, or you could walk so many steps, or you could do so many things. And so they just kept drawing the line so that they could get as close to the line as possible without falling over. And what were they doing? They did that to justify doing what they wanted to do, yet saying they were obeying the commandment. That's what the commandment does, is it causes you to want to justify yourself because you want to you do it. You want to keep it right. But the truth is, you, you can't keep it right. So Jesus explains what a neighbor is. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, so he's a Jewish guy, and uh, fell among thieves, and stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. There's a half dead, half naked man laying on the side of the road. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He changed sides of the road. 
So if he get if he could get, get far enough away from him, he did not have to be his neighbor. So he moved away from him. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. There's a reason why they're always going to the other side. Going to the other side because if I get a certain amount of feet away from this guy, I can claim and justify why I don't have to stop and help the guy as my neighbor. And then uh, a certain Samaritan, whom the Jews hated, as he journeyed, came to where he was, saw him, and he had compassion. Compassion and sympathy are two different things. Sympathy feels bad. Compassion does something. Now, it's still right to feel bad with someone, to feel what they're feeling. But when you move from sympathy to compassion, you move from feeling it to doing something about it. And so that's what this guy does. He has compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus asked a question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. (laughs) So who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? What do you do to make sure that you're not, you know, I don't watch those those commercials about puppies, you know, with that sad music and and all that stuff, because I I don't want to be confronted with, that isn't happening, that isn't happening, you know. Hearing people sing sad songs and all that, I just don't watch it. Why? Because I don't want to, I don't want to help the situation. I don't want to be drawn into it. And I think it's a trap anyway, but moving right along. So I, I, I move away, so to speak, in my heart from it so that I don't have to be confronted with it. And we do that in life kind of all the time. So what Jesus did is he ri- ripped off the veneer of false performance by saying your neighbor might not look like you and he might not even be somebody you like. That's who you need to love. Now, Fred Rogers, back to him for a minute. He did an incredible job of showing love. In fact, he, uh, he understood that when a two- to five-year-old was at home while his parents were watching the news or his parents were talking in the living room or his parents were dealing with issues, that they heard world issues, but they didn't have the capacity to know, understand them, or, or what to do with it from what they heard from their parents on the news. So Fred would try to bring truth to the child in a way that would remove fear from that child's life, love that child and, and get that child to love themselves. And so, for example... Uh, in the in the documentary, there's a there's a scene. It's a horrible scene. It's very rough to watch. It was in the day and age when segregation, uh, you know, they were desegregating, and so uh, this was back in like 1969, 1970, and they were taking. Now I've got quotes around this. Air quotes. White pools, pools for white folks, and they were making them allow people of color to come to the pool and swim. And so in the scene, there are children playing in a pool having fun, black children, playing in a pool, having a great time. And there's an adult, a man, taking two jugs of chlorine and pouring it on the heads of the children in the pool. Now, children walk by, see that on the news. How do they, how do they process that? Very difficult to process. How do, you, how do you teach a two-year-old to love your neighbor even if your neighbor's a different color than you are? So what Fred did is Fred got on his bench there. He got one of those little 
blue kiddie pools. They cost about three bucks. They're made out of that hard plastic, and they last, you know, your kids play one day. They fall on the side a few times. They crack, and they're done. He got one of those pools. He sits it out there next to his bench. He sits down on his bench, takes his shoes and socks off, puts his feet in the cool water, and is moving his feet around, and the, the chief of police walks by. This chief of police happens to be a man of color. One of the first, I believe the first man of color ever brought on a children's show was brought on the children's show by Fred Rogers, and he was the chief of police in the neighborhood. He invites him over to sit on the bench with him, and they sit together on the bench. He said, would you like to cool your feet in my pool? And he said, oh, I'd like to, but I don't have a towel. Fred says, oh, you can use mine, and we'll share it. So in a moment, Fred has his friend of color sitting next to him sharing the little kiddie pool and Fred basically washes his feet for the kids and the kids walk away with a different view of how to treat your neighbor than they're getting on the news he, he did an incredible job with stuff like that uh, one one he has his little uh little puppet the tiger I think it is uh, uh ask the girl what does assassination mean because the kids have been hearing it on the news. Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated, and they're hearing it on the news, and they don't understand, and they're seeing funerals, and they're seeing all this stuff, and, and, and the two-year-old, the five-year-old mind is going, what's, what's up? And he would, he'd explain it and remove the unknown from a child's life simply by letting the love of God flow through his life. And he did that for the Vietnam War. He did it in 9-11. He did it for the Challenger disaster. At every time he did it, and he would talk, with the issue, talk about the issues of the day as a neighbor, a good neighbor, who loved his neighbor and cared, someone who biblically loved his neighbor, not as a rule of law, but as an ambassador for Jesus. And trying to live up to the greatest commandments, we fall short. And then when we fall short, we try to justify ourselves. And look, there's no condemnation. Everybody's in this. We're all in the same bus. We all deal with it the same way. See, we're all guilty because no one but Jesus could keep the law. No one. I think it's time we, we stop trying to, to please God through our performance. And uh, love God and our neighbor, but we do it through Jesus. How do you do it? You do it through Jesus. He's our perfect substitute. He's our sacrifice. He's the one who, who fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the one who did it. We look at his success. We rest in the truth that God has accepted us through him and not based on our performance. And then what happens? Then our performance comes from resting in the love of God. God loved us so much that in spite of us not being able to. He wanted us in his family. It, uh, when we fail, what do we do? We cry out for a redo. So how do we love our neighbor? Biblically. 1 John 4.19 I think is the key. It says we love God because he first loved us. And I think legally you could drop the word God there. We love because he first loved us. The only way I've ever, I ever became capable of loving was when the love of God 
flowed, flowed through my heart. Paul did it, said it this way. He said, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Here's Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the law inside and out. And, and he said, the only way I live the way I live right now is by letting Jesus live through me. When I need to forgive somebody, I don't, with, with all my strength, muster up forgiveness. No, I reach back into the forgiveness that Jesus gave me. And I scoop out of, the, out of the love and forgiveness God gave me, and I share that with somebody else. It's the only way you're ever going to love your neighbor is yourself. The only way you're ever going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of the law, all the messes that you have, uh, whether they're obvious or hidden, whether everybody knows your mess or nobody knows it, and it's still a mess, all of those messes were dealt with on the cross paid in full why because God loves you so much see the foundation of life isn't love it's the love of God because human love just goes so far and then it runs out so what happens instead of trying to keep the law we focus on God's love for us we focus on Jesus. You know, it's hard for me to stay mad at my wife thinking about Jesus' love for me. It's hard for me to be fussy with the person getting me my happy meal when I'm thinking about Jesus. You know, the only time that I, I get fussy with people in those situations is when I'm thinking about me. When my focus is on me. And I get all wrapped up about me and what I deserve and how dare they not get me my happy meal in three minutes, you know. And, by the way, they probably shouldn't get you one at all because that food's not good for you, but moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Because he first loved us, we can love God. We can love our family, family of believers, and we can love people that are out there walking on these streets. And that's the only reason we can. Who in your life right now needs a neighbor and needs the love of God? Who have you been tempted to cross the other side of the street in your life with instead of going on the side of the street that you need to, going over to them to, to offer up just something God's given you, something God's put in you, love? Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.